Genesis 4, 1 through 16 says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. So in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and away from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so aware of my need for you to speak to my heart. Lord, for the need that, that you would speak to our hearts in this place, that you would teach us by your spirit. Lord, there is no wisdom that we can come up with and apply to your word by human wisdom and, and human strength. And, and Lord, we need, we need you, Lord. We're desperate for you. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Wash over your people and speak to those places in our hearts today that need to be set free. Do it, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was thinking about... Um, learning to swim as a child. And I remember learning to swim and, and being at swimming lessons and, and having an instructor who was trying to encourage me, you know, you can do it. Don't be afraid. And, and I'm right here, you know, I'm on the wall and I'm looking this way and between me and my instructor is just, you know, like nothing but danger. Trying to work up the courage. And I remember one day specifically, the instructor stood a few feet back and was just saying, I'm right here. 
You can do it. And I worked up the courage. You know, I put my face in the water. I'm a little kid and, you know, pushed off the wall and I'm, you know, just splashing around and I don't, can't see where I'm going. But at some point I, I realized I should be there by now. And so I lift my head up and find myself well away from the wall. And he's just been moving back further and further and further. And in my mind as a kid, I'm just thinking, how rude. Like, come on, man, give me a break. I've felt like that at other times in life. Maybe you have too. Maybe, maybe it's with your parents and you feel like there's a standard that you're being asked to meet and you feel like you meet that standard just to find that they've moved the bar. Gosh, I just, there's no pleasing you. Maybe it's with an employer, with friends. Maybe it's in church, in your relationship with the Lord. It's an old movie. It's a spoof with uh, Chris Farley um, spoofing the, the Lewis and Clark expedition. And there's a point where they're climbing the Rocky Mountains and they expect they're going to get up to the top of the Rocky Mountains. They're going to look over the mountains and they're going to see the Pacific Ocean. And so they're getting up to the top and they, they get to the top and they look over and all they see is Utah. Sometimes life feels like that. It feels like we're just climbing mountain range after mountain range, expecting to get up to the top and see the promised land. But when we get up, all we see is maybe another mountain range. Maybe it's Utah. Regardless what you may have been told, Utah is not the promised land. I remember... It took some of y'all a while. I remember the first time driving through Utah. Never mind, I don't have time. (laughs) Maybe you're like me. And at times, the seasons in life when you cry out to God, God, what do you want from me? I I don't cry often, but when I do, it's ugly. I'm an ugly crier. And this last Tuesday, I fell to my knees, my bedroom floor, in a moment of like anxiety and fear and desperation, literally prayed, God, what do you want from me? What do you, what do you want? I've, I've given you everything. Like to say the word, I'll do it. What do you want from me? Maybe your lament is not as optimistic as that. Maybe you've already drawn conclusions. God demands too much of me. I can never give you enough. I can never do enough. God, you're never satisfied. So this is the first question I want us to ask today. Does God desire too much of you? Now, some of you are thinking with your theological brain right now. I just want to ask you to hold your theological horses. We need to make sure that our minds and our hearts are connected on this. Okay, because we can know. No, God can never ask too much of me. He is the Lord. And yet at times in life, we feel like he does. God, this is too much. This is too much. When we're suffering, when when someone we love is suffering, when our prayers aren't receiving the answers that we had hoped for, 
God, what do you want from me? We can wonder if there's some reason that God is holding out on us. I think our text today is is describing just such an occasion. With two brothers and two sacrifices, one is accepted and the other is rejected. Cain worked the ground and Abel tended the flocks. And so they each bring to God a portion of the fruits of their labor as an offering to God. And God accepts Abel and his offering, but he does not accept Cain or his offering. And the text says that Cain is angry and sad. Literally, it says it is hot within Cain. You know that feeling. Injustice. It's hot within you. And then his face fell, sorrowful, dejected, depressed. See, oftentimes, our anger and our sorrow are not actually that different from one another. Many times we're angry because anger feels more powerful than sorrow. Sadness is very vulnerable. It feels very weak in our culture. If I think back on my life and I think about the angriest or the meanest things I've done, most of them came from a place of tremendous heartbreak. I remember in, in high school, uh, I was not a good person. And I was, at, I was a junior in high school. I was at a swim meet in Santa Maria. And uh, my ex-girlfriend was on the girls' swim team, and she was sitting with a group of people who had used to have been mutual friends, but had all taken a side against me for her. And I remember in that moment just talking and her saying something. I can't even tell you what she said. But in that moment, I was exposed. I was ridiculed. I was so fearful and heartbroken. The only thing I could think to do, she was sitting on one of those camping chairs, like the tripod camping chairs. I reached down and I just ripped the chair out from underneath her, threw it and walked away. I'm so grateful I've had the opportunity to confess and apologize to her for that. One of the most angry moments of my life because I was heartbroken. See, anger is an emotional response to injustice. So Cain can feel like he's been unjustly rejected by God, but sadness can come from a variety of reasons. And in this context, the, the, uh, the context of rejection, this sorrow is this feeling of inadequacy. God, you should have accepted my sacrifice. You are unjust. You didn't accept my sacrifice. There's something wrong with me. I am insufficient. Anger and sorrow. Again, we feel like this sometimes. Maybe we don't respond the way Cain did, or maybe you don't pull chairs out from underneath people, but there is a way that we respond to this anger and this sorrow. Many times we try to prove ourselves. We, we work ourselves sick. We, we give more. We sacrifice things in order to, to accomplish the thing that we need to accomplish in order to be accepted. We try to prove ourselves. 
or we live in competition with others. If that person's accepted, then I'll just be better than that person. As long as I'm not doing the evil things that that person is doing, or as long as the work I'm producing is better than the work that that person is producing, then I'll be okay. And so we live in this competition with one another. And, and so we take credit for things that we shouldn't take credit for, and we don't give credit for the things that we should give credit for. Or maybe like Cain, we just eliminate the competition. Just get rid of that dude. And now I'm top dog. And like Cain, we, you know, if, if we're not only striving to do the good things, we're also striving to hide the things that we don't want people to see. We hide our sin. We hide our failures. We cover it up. We don't take responsibility. And all of this comes from trying to do enough, and be enough, and earn our acceptance. All of it comes from trying to prove our worth. And so maybe today, you're living under the shadows of your failures. Just can't seem to give enough. I just can't seem to do enough. I just can't seem to be what other people want me to be, or what God wants me to be. And so it is hot within you. Your face is fallen. I think sometimes we come to this text and we just label Cain a villain and set him aside and we do our best. We try to identify with Abel or we try to identify with God or we try to identify with Eve. We can't be so quick to just discount Cain. Y'all, we're supposed to identify with Cain. We're supposed to see ourselves in Cain. Cain is the everyman. He is all of us. When we're tempted to believe that God requires too much of us, that his standards are too high and we can never do enough to please him. But Cain's problem and our problem is not what God requires. See, Cain's problem and our problem is with what we give. There's a significant difference between Cain and Abel's offering, although it's very subtle in the text. It says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. It's not obvious on, on the surface, but some have, some have suggested, they've tried to make sense of this. What's the difference between their, their offerings? And so some have suggested that the difference between their offerings is that Abel's offering was an animal sacrifice, and therefore it was a sacrifice for his sin. It's an atonement offering, while Cain's offering is just like vegetables. And so the law in the Old Testament says that blood must be shed for sin. And so Abel's offering was a sin offering, which is why God accepted it. And Cain's wasn't, which is why God rejected it. And that is certainly one theory. But linguistically, I don't think we can make that argument because the word offering that is used in this text is a specific word that is used in the Old Testament law that is more akin to a grain offering. 
And so Cain's offering and Abel's offering is not an atonement offering. It's not a sin offering. It's a thanksgiving offering. It's a tribute. It's it's an act of gratitude, giving back to the Lord what he has given him from the ground and from the flocks. And so this word, again, more akin to a grain offering, applies to both Cain and Abel's offering, even though Abel was offering an animal in sacrifice. So I don't think the issue here is one has blood and the other one doesn't. See, it's not the difference. uh, It's it's not about the blood. It's actually about the fat. See, blood is never mentioned in this text until it's Abel's blood crying out from the ground. But in the sacrifice, the key word here is the fat. Abel offers the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The the Net Bible brings out this subtlety with more clarity. It says, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. Okay, every true meat eater knows that the flavor is in the fat. This is why woo is right. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. The difference between choice beef and prime beef is the fat. Prime has more fat. This is why I like to trim my own tri-tips. So some of you, some of you all have never seen a tri-tip before it's trimmed. It's half fat. And you trim the fat off so that when you cook it, you can put the fat on top. And all the oils drip into the meat. And then you take it off, you flip it, and you put the fat on top. It's called a fat hat. I recommend you try it. (laughs) It's delicious. The flavor is in the fat. The best portion is the fat portion. And so Cain offers some fruit of the ground. But Abel offers the first fruit and the best fruit. So God desires your first and your best. He desires your first and your best. We make sacrifices to God all the time. We don't burn our vegetables or our, you know, our, our animals, but our sacrifices of thanksgiving for what God has done for us come in equally costly ways. God asks for our time He asks for our talents, our giftings, our abilities. He asks for our treasure, our finances, our resources. So many of us are trying to figure out how to budget these things. There's only so many hours in a day. Only so much money in my bank account, in my paycheck. I only have so much strength and energy and, and, and want to be able to use that for my desires, my purposes. By the time we budget everything out among our various priorities, then we ask, okay, now what's left for God? What's left? What's left over? Got to give him something, some fruit, but it's not our first. It's not our best. It's our leftovers. It's Cain's offering. The Lord wants your first and best. The Lord is worthy 
of our first and best. See, Cain would have no fruit if God didn't make the ground and provide for him. We would have nothing to give if God did not provide for us. So God has given us everything. Anytime we are generous financially with those in our life, anytime we are giving to the work of the ministry by our tithes and offerings to the church, it's a sacrifice. Anytime we serve people in Jesus' name, whether it's out on the street, in our families, here in church, it's a sacrifice. We're giving our time to others. We're giving our presence to others self-sacrificially. Anytime we use our gifts, our abilities, our resources, the things that we have, the things that we're good at to serve others or to glorify God instead of building a kingdom for ourselves, it's a sacrifice. God doesn't ask you for your leftovers. He asks you for your first and your best. He's worthy of the first and the best, the first and the best hours of the day. He wants to be the top item on your budget as you are planning what to do with your finances. He wants to be the one that you give all of your time and your attention to. He wants you to use your gifts that he has given you to glorify him. He wants your first and your best. See, the reason God showed no offering to Cain, or sorry, no regard to Cain and his offering was not because of the quality of his offering, but it was that the quality of Cain's offering reflected the quality of Cain's faith. And Cain had no regard for God. The reason God had no regard for Cain and his offering is because Cain had no regard for God. Cain could have given God everything and it still wouldn't have been accepted if his heart was not in it. And we see this play out in the rest of the story. Cain is so angry and dejected that when God comes to him and warns him, he says, Cain, don't you know if you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It's like a wild animal waiting for you to pounce. Its desire is contrary to you. It wants to own you and you must master it. He comes to him. See, listen, Has God rejected Cain? No, he loves Cain. He's coming to Cain to warn Cain. Look, Cain, there are things in this world, there's things in your experience that are are far more dangerous than you could possibly imagine. Sin is like a wild animal that's going to tear out your throat, but you can master it. Cain doesn't say a word. Cain doesn't pump the brakes one bit. He kills his brother instead. Shows no regard for God. No regard. And when God confronts him again, he shows no regard for his actions. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
yeah, they tried to like blame others for it, but at least they acknowledged what they did. Cain, Cain won't even acknowledge what he did. They come to, God comes to Adam and Eve. Where are you? They come out. He says, where, goes to Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Just flat out lies. Does not show God the dignity of being honest with him. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Get off my back, God. No regard. He flat out lies. Then when God communicates his punishment, you notice he still doesn't acknowledge what he did. All he cares about is himself. God comes and tells him what's going to happen. And he goes, my punishment is too great to bear. My translation. It's a little harsh, isn't it, God? Give me a break. My punishment is too great for me to bear. I'm going to be cast away from your presence now and wander the earth. And then someone's going to find me and they're going to kill me. I wish God would have been like, you you mean like you did to your brother? Why is it an injustice for someone to kill Cain? But it's not an injustice, Cain, for you to kill your brother. He's only thinking of himself. No regard for God. No regard for Abel. No regard for his sin. Listen, the reason that Cain's sacrifice is rejected is because he just showed up at the right place at the right time and offered a gift. It's going through the motions. How often do we show up to the right place at the right time thinking we're giving God such a gift by our presence? And we're going through the motions. So easy to go through the motions on Sunday, isn't it, church? So easy to go through the motions in our Bible studies. Listen, I, I was reading my Bible this week. I'm trying to do the, the, read the Bible in a year. And I found myself reading my Bible just so that I wouldn't have to read double tomorrow. It's going through the motions. Just checking the boxes. I literally have an app where you check the box. I read that. Just doing it to check the boxes. It's so easy to go through the motions. The reason Cain's sacrifice is rejected is because he's going through the motions. It didn't come from faith. Hebrews 11.4 says that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. See, the difference is faith. The difference was in their hearts. Cain could have given everything. And if it still came from that same heart, it would have been rejected. Abel comes with faith and gratitude and gives God the best. And so God accepts it. Heard a story about a, a, a pastor who was out of town and just worshiping at a different church, he and his wife. And they're, they're passing the offering baskets. And he reaches into his wallet and pulls out what he thinks is a $5 bill. Puts it in the, the basket as it, as it passes by. And later on in the day, he's talking to his wife and he realized uh, he was unaware that his wife had put a $100 bill in his wallet. And so when he realized that he had given the wrong bill, he lamented to his wife and was like, I thought it was only five bucks. And she responded, 
if it makes you feel any better, it was only $5 worth of faith. It only, it only counts for five. Don't pat yourself on the back like, oh, I'm so generous. You didn't want to be generous. In the New Testament, Jesus witnesses rich people making big offerings with this big boastful pride. And then a widow comes and gives two small copper coins, all that she had to live on, the text says. And Jesus commends her and, and, and her gift because of her faith, evidenced by her willingness to give everything she had to live on in spite of her poverty. Jesus says that it was actually more than any of the others had given who were giving from their wealth. So many of us will approach God and will point to all of the reasons that God should accept us. All of the things that we've done for him, all of our church attendance and spiritual disciplines and acts of service and financial generosity Point to all of that as, as reason why, God, this is, God, you need me. This is why, this is why you're going to let me in. It's because I did all of these things. But listen, God does not want your works if your works does not come from worship. God doesn't want your works if your works do not come from worship. Time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel were bringing sacrifices to God and God was saying, I detest your burnt offerings. Because you come and you offer your burnt offerings and then you leave and you, go, you don't change the way you live. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We often believe that what God wants from us is our good deeds, our actions, our righteousness, our resumes. But this will always prove fruitless. It's only trying to achieve our acceptance. Look, you cannot achieve your acceptance before God. You cannot do enough to twist God's arm into accepting you or into saving you or into giving you eternal life. You cannot achieve your acceptance. It can never be achieved. It must be received. Your acceptance before God must be received. Scott Sauls recently wrote, the thing God wants most from you is an admission of your not enoughness. God ignores your moral virtue resume because his deeper concern is not what you can do for him, but what he can do for you. It's only when you recognize that you can't give enough. You can never do enough to earn your way into God's presence that you can finally receive God's grace. And church, this is good news for us today. God's not asking you to do anything for him, to do more for him. He's not saying the reason you feel distant from me is because you're not doing enough. He doesn't want your works if your works are not coming from a heart of worship, a heart of faith. I have to ask, I look at this situation and I go, how didn't Cain have faith? He's literally, he's talking to God face to face. How is it that Cain doesn't have faith? Listen, 
Faith is not acknowledging that God exists. Faith is acknowledging that God is worth everything. That he's worth following. That he's worth submitting to. That he's worth obeying. That he's worth listening to. That he's worth worshiping. Faith isn't just Oh yeah, I believe that Jesus was a human being who, you know, may have been God who walked the earth and was crucified. It's not believing in, in these, these historical facts or ascending to some intellectual knowledge. It's, it's what Thomas says when he sees the wounds in Jesus' hands and the wound in his side. He says, falls on his face, my Lord and my God. Faith in Jesus is not believing that he existed. It's believing that he is worth everything. That he is your greatest treasure, that there is nothing in this life that you could do for yourself or ask God for that would be greater than what God has already given you in Jesus. Faith looked at God eye to eye and didn't have faith. That is a warning to all of us that we can look God straight in the face today and walk away never giving him our lives. Because we want to be accepted by what we can do. We want to be accepted by what we can offer. And God says, it's filthy rags. Your best works. God does not want if they don't come from faith. He wants you. He just wants you. He wants you to acknowledge you can't do it and to acknowledge that he has. He's done it for you. He loves you. Like Cain, he pursues you time and time again, inviting us to receive his grace. It is only when we recognize we can't do enough that we can finally receive his grace. And it's good news because God doesn't ask us for anything that he hasn't already provided. So God asks you, yes, for your first and your best. He asks me for my first and my best, but God has given us his all. He's given us everything. And when we, like Cain, are so focused on trying to be accepted by God, by what we do and by what we give, God has demonstrated his acceptance of us by what he has done, by what he has given. So because of God's great love for you, just as you are, where you sit, in the mess that this week has been, in the mess that this month has been maybe in this mess that your life has been. God looks at you because of his love for you just as you are. He has given you his offering. He has given you his sacrifice. He has given you his firstborn. He has given you his only son, Jesus Christ, to be an offering for your sin. Not because you are worthy, but because you are loved. Not because you have done everything, but simply by the fact that you can't do anything. 
to make yourself worthy. He has done it to make you worthy by his grace. And it's by grace that we have been accepted by God through faith in Jesus. It's because of that sacrifice that we're accepted. See, Cain killed Abel. God said that his blood was crying to him from the ground. That that aspect of crying out to God is the cry in justice. Abel's blood is crying out to the ground, crying out from the ground in justice. But Hebrews 12 says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Though Jesus could have cried out in justice because of your sin, yet he cries out justified because he was dying for your sin. Jesus doesn't condemn you. Jesus doesn't require that you make yourself worthy for him. He is not a parent that continues to move the the bar of what is expected, continues to move the goalpost on you. Just when you think it's going through the uprights, nope, it moves. He's not asking anything of you. Except for all of you. He's asking for your heart. He's asking for your faith. He's asking for your life. Though he could have cried out injustice because of our sin, he cries out justified because he was dying for your sin. And this actually has a shocking result. When we recognize that we can't do anything to earn our status before God, when we can't give anything to make us worthy of God, when we realize that Jesus is the greatest treasure we have, we realize that he's the only treasure we need. And this is the shocking result that when we are tempted from fear to cry out, God, I can never give enough. You always want more. When we experience the, the, the treasure and the, the beauty that Jesus is, when we, when we receive all that God has given us in Christ, we're transformed to the, the freedom to God, I can never give enough. Lord, I, I would pour it all out if I could. I, I can't, I, I love to give you everything. What do you want? I'll, I'll give you more. Out of gratitude, not out of guilt but a delight in pouring everything we have out at the feet of Jesus. So you have God's best. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have God's best. And so many of us miss it because we're trying to cling to our best. We're trying to cling to the things that we can do for God that we don't actually receive the things that God has done for you. And even our first and best is like chewing on mud pies compared to the the fat portions, the prime rib. We need to put down the things of this world. 
the things that we can do for ourselves. We need to put down the things that we can do for God and receive by grace the things that God has done for us. Empty your worldly treasures at the feet of Jesus and experience, maybe even for the first time, just truly how good and satisfying he is. In a moment, the worship band is going to come up and, and lead us in worship. And we have a time to respond to these things. And I want us to, to confess our not enoughness. I want us to confess our need and confess our sin. And I want us to be mindful of receiving the grace and forgiveness, the acceptance of Jesus Christ. In many Christian traditions, there's, a, there's an altar in the sanctuary. Our, our carpets are, are like our altar where people are invited to come to the altar, to, to kneel, to lay everything down. I want us today, whether on the carpets or in our seats, to come to the altar, to come to the altar and lay everything down, empty our hands, empty everything that we carried into this place, our sins, our shame, our good deeds, our self-righteousness, our works righteousness, to come in and just lay it all down. It is not going to account for anything if you walk away from this place not receiving the grace of Jesus Christ, and if you receive the grace of Jesus Christ, even those works are not going to make you like have received more grace. God can't love you any more in Christ. He can't love you any less. He loves you. So let's lay it all down. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's meet with him in his presence and glorify him because he has paid it all. And then when we leave this place, let's recognize that what time are we going to hang on to? What money are we going to hang on to? What resources are we going to hang on to? What gifts could we possibly use for our glory instead of using it all for the glory of Jesus? When we go, we leave this place. Let's recognize that all of our lives, all that we have, it all belongs to Jesus. What are we going to hang on to? God's not asking you to give just a little bit more. He's asking you to give everything. We began by asking, what does God want from me? He wants everything. He wants every thought. He wants every emotion. He wants every aspect of your life, every inch of your body. He wants everything given over to him because of what he has done for you. So stop dividing your life into portions. And saying, I'll give you this much, but not this much. Or dividing them into categories. Then saying, God, I will, I'll give you my sobriety, but I won't give you my sexuality. Or God, I'll give you my, my time, but I won't give you my money. Or God, I will give you Sunday, but every other day of the week, that's for me. Get out of my business. Stop dividing it up and just giving little bits. Give him your first and your best. Give him everything because he has given you everything. I don't know. Is that too much? It depends entirely on what Jesus is worth. If Jesus is only worth eh, about this much of my life, then yeah, it's too much. 
But if Jesus is worth everything, because he has given you everything, because he is everything, because he is life and he is love and he is beauty and he is salvation and he is sanctification and he is holiness. If Jesus is worth everything, then no, he's not asking too much. And it's from gratitude that we pour it all out. Romans 12, one says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is the most obvious and natural thing to do when we realize what God has done for us, when we receive what God has given to us to give our bodies, to give our entire lives as a spiritual, as a living sacrifice, spiritual worship. When you receive what God has given for you, your fears of never being able to give enough are transformed to the freedom to hold nothing back. We can hold nothing back. We are invited to pour it all out today. No matter who you are today, because of Jesus, if you give yourself to God in faith, just as you are, you will not be turned away. You won't be turned away. There's no reason that if through faith in Jesus, you come to God today and you give your life to him, that he will look at you and say, mm, I'm gonna wait for a better offer. Or hey, because of this thing in your life right there, no, go clean that up, then come back to me. It's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Because you are received on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be the time, Lord, that we would lay it all down. But God, we won't do it if we don't believe that you are worthy. We won't do it if we don't believe you are good. We won't do it if we don't receive what you have done for us. And so, Father, the word says that you have poured out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on your people. That we might know your love. That we might taste and see that the Lord is good. That we would receive what you have done for us. And that it would be a joy to leave even our greatest treasures at the altar. God, we can't muster that up. We need you to do your work in us right now. So stir in our hearts those things we need to leave behind. Stir in our hearts 
the desire to worship you in this place, God. Do what only you can do. We are expectant. I pray for those, God, who are on the fence, not because they don't want to, but because they feel like it's too scary. Holy Spirit, would you just give them a push? Show them how good you are. Show us, Lord, how good you are. We believe. Help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, come and fill your people today in Jesus' name.